all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I am Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so today we are going to elevate this topic so that all of us can better understand the signs of an abusive relationship, why it happens, why a person would stay in that abusive relationship, and what can be done. Those are tough questions, aren't they? But We've got to navigate through them. I know you'll better understand why this happens and how people stay after we talk about this. Ten million people a year are abused by an intimate partner. 20,000, listen to this, 20,000 domestic violence calls are placed each day, each day. Upwards of 20% of women say that they have been raped. And one in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence. That's a lot, isn't it? A lot of individuals out there have experienced some, some of this very difficult topic to talk about. So I know many of you listeners have or have someone that you care about who has experienced this and you're not sure what to do or how to deal with it, perhaps. Maybe you've dealt with it before, and we'd love to have you give your stories, if you will, about how you were able to come out of that. Or maybe... Um, how you are still struggling as to whether or not this is really a violent or abusive relationship. Sometimes, I know that sounds a bit odd, but the truth is, is sometimes you can't really tell. So as we are moving through this really difficult topic, I want you to know that it really should be at the top of the list of issues that we need to discuss because, and I mean this, if just one person today gets information that they need to get out of an abusive situation, then it will have been well worth our discussion, right? So the numbers are staggering. It's difficult to believe that that there are women and some men who have lived in an abusive situation for years with little help or no help, or perhaps they even ask for help from law enforcement or from others and, and felt like they didn't get the appropriate services they need. 
The other issue is that there are many, many people who have stayed in abusive relationships when others have begged them to leave. And I want to talk about why does that happen? What can make someone stay in a situation that is unhappy and dangerous? So, um, you know, there are reasons out there. Many times people feel trapped, financially unable. It may be that that partner, um, that intimate partner, has make them f- made them feel like perhaps they're the reason for the abuse. Or they they couldn't survive on their own, right? So before we go further, I want to remind everybody that there are severe consequences of domestic violence, not just to the individual who is being injured and emotionally and or physically abused. The physical consequences are there, obviously, and we don't have to even talk about those. But there are lasting consequences like the psychological damage and also the depression that can be a result and even um, post-traumatic stress disorder which we can talk about as we're moving along and I don't want to brush across those long-term consequences I also want to bring up another consequence if children are allowed to live in a house even if they're not abused if they live in a house where there is domestic violence there are significant long-term consequences for those children, both emotionally, um, sometimes physically from a health standpoint long-term. Um, as we've talked about, those adverse childhood experiences, many times if they live in that, their ultimate health outcome, not just mental health outcome, but health outcome is damaged. And the other thing that it does damage, too, is it damages the view of what a normal relationship is supposed to be. So it may create a cycle that would continue for families so that their families end up in that same negative domestic abuse cycle. Or it may cause someone to feel that they will never be in a relationship. So it destroys the ability to have a normal, loving, caring, typical relationship. Okay, I know I'm talking very negatively, and I think everybody knows how I love to talk about happy stuff. But today we've got to talk about this because there can be a happy outcome if only that intervention that's needed happens. Okay, so... It's not just me talking today. I'm so happy to say that we have Wendy Mahoney with us today, who is the executive director at the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and she's going to help us navigate through this really tough topic and talk to us a bit about why we must talk about this and learn to talk to others about this. So good morning and Welcome, Wendy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Buttress. I appreciate it. So, Wendy, before we go on, tell us a little bit about your organization that you're executive director of and and how it came to be, a little bit maybe about your, your mission, what you hope to do in Mississippi, if you will. 
Okay. Well, uh, I am the executive director for the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. The organization has been in existence. Actually, this year is the 41st year of the organization's existence. Wow. Um, Yes, there are 56 domestic violence coalitions throughout the U.S. states and territories. So every state and territory has a coalition. And we're federally funded to exist. We're funded through the um, Family Violence Prevention Services Act and the Violence Against Women Act. Mm -hmm. And um, back, as you know, remember in the early 80s when a lot of the grassroots organizations started in the late 70s, the late 70s when people were doing safe houses and uh, trying to figure out how to support individuals uh, who were fleeing abusive relationships that's when coalitions came into being and we came into being to really support the domestic violence shelter programs and then within each state our goal is to be the premier organization uh, providing support and resources around domestic violence so our organization our mission is to bring about social change through advocacy technical assistance and public awareness and that the public awareness is doing what I'm doing today so that individuals have a better understanding of what domestic violence is, what are some of the supports and resources, and just really have a better understanding of domestic violence as a whole. Because I think people have different perceptions mm -hmm. about domestic violence, and so our goal is to make sure people understand what it is, and then the technical assistance can come through a, a number of different ways, um, through training, support resources, um, capacity building, um, referral service. We do refer individuals for um, for services, we and uh, we also have a legal services uh, component of our organization where we support those individuals and provide resources to them who are needing a divorce, uh, protection order, um, issues around child custody and child visitation. So we do those things uh, as well, and we do advocacy. And advocacy is a huge component of what we do. We do a lot of systemic advocacy, legislative advocacy, and policy advocacy, um, looking at various systems and making the coordination and being able to really advocate for those individuals who uh cannot advocate for themselves. So um, that's what the organization does. <laughs> We've been around a long time, and we support the 12 domestic violence shelter programs throughout our state. We have 12 shelter programs, and you'll hear me say a program because people see shelter and they think that's all that they do is house individuals, but they do way more than just house the individual and the supports that come with it. So they have both residential and non-residential services. So again, I say we have 12 domestic violence shelter programs with about 330 beds uh, currently, but because of COVID, I'd probably say it's about half the capacity. Mm -hmm. So as we talk about domestic violence, and the impact is so vast and so great, but our, our resources are very limited. Right. 
So, Wendy, there, but there are resources out there, and that's what I want our listeners to hear today is that there is help out there. And if you have been afraid because, for example, you couldn't afford getting a lawyer to help you out, if you couldn't uh, afford the legal services, or perhaps you don't have anywhere to go, maybe your family is out of state, maybe your family is estranged because you've been in an abusive relationship and not been able to get out. There is help out there. And so today we want you to give us a call. You can use a different name if you don't want to use your real name, but give us a call. Talk to us. Um, Do you understand what's going on? So I just want to remind our listeners before we go to our first break, we're talking about domestic violence, what it is, uh, the fact that there's help out there. I have Wendy Mahoney, who is the executive director of uh, of the, let's see, I want to say it right, um, ex- Executive Director of the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And um, she's telling us about all these resources here. So domestic violence can be physical, psychological. It can affect anyone of any age, gender, race, sexual orientation also. And it has nothing to do with your actual finances or your education level. It can cause physical harm. It can control you. And so today we're talking about how you can get out of that if you need to or how you can help someone who needs to get out of that. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Children grow and change so fast, it's important to help them build the strong foundations they need to help develop lifelong skills and succeed in school. Whether it's singing songs in the car or counting steps while walking to the mailbox, there are many ways to help young children learn new skills and reach new developmental milestones. Even before they can talk, babies can make connections and respond to adults' words, sounds, and facial expressions by clapping, waving, or smiling back at them. Not only is it fun, but it's important to talk, read, and sing with children. More at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I'm here with Wendy Mahoney, who is the Executive Director of the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And we are talking about domestic violence and what it is. Um, why it happens, maybe, and and how what you can do to help someone get out of it. Now, I want to throw something else out there, listeners. Um, perhaps there are individuals out there listening who have been involved in a domestic violence situation, and they happen to have been the abuser, maybe an emotional abuse, maybe a control issue abuse. Um, if you were, if you were one of those, I'm asking, how did you get out of it? How did you stop yourself? Or, or were you able to? 
did you lose a relationship because of your behavior? Or perhaps you have a child um, or a sibling who is involved in an abusive relationship that maybe you helped them get out of. How did you do that? You know, I always say our, our callers make the show. So I really would like for you to call in today, tell your stories, ask your questions. We have um, Wendy Mahoney here who has talked about a plethora of services that are out there for for us to access if we need. So um, give us a call. Talk to us about it. And I want to throw out a couple of things, and then, Wendy, I'd love your comments back on this. So how do abusive partners really act? So let me throw out a few things just as a reminder Um, Many times individuals get into a relationship that initially seems great. It's an individual who loves you so much, who wants to be with you all the time, who wants to know where you are, who wants you to call and check in, who is always there for you. So that sounds great, right? Very loving, protective, caring. But then sometimes it can evolve from that into um, really wanting to be with you all the time, that they control who you, you are with, maybe isolate you from your family or friends, um, maybe even um, if there's an after-work issue, feeling like you shouldn't go to that because that's taking so much time away from you and your relationship with that individual. Um, maybe they're incredibly jealous. And so all of the sudden, you can't talk to anyone of the opposite sex or the same sex if you're in a homosexual relationship without someone being explosively upset and angry um, about it. Almost always, not always, but almost always, that individual is remorseful after whatever explosion or slap or hit during an argument. The other thing I want to bring up um, is many times the person who is in that abusive relationship, who is the being abused, often they begin to wonder if their behavior didn't cause the action. And so, Wendy, I want, if you will, let's talk a little bit about how many times individuals in an abusive relationship start believing that perhaps they might have caused the negative reaction that caused the screaming or the slap or the punch. Um, Do you want to talk a little about that for us? Okay. Yes, that does happen. Um, And I I would preface everything by saying this. Uh, Individuals say, well, why did you let this person do this to you? Or why did you allow this to happen? Well, one is, as you, everybody knows, being in a relationship, any type of intimate partner relationship, um, you, you develop and build a level of care and trust. And so a lot of times you really have a hard time even separating, is this really happening because I care about this individual and that the behavior is contradictory to 
what they what they've said and right. what you feel. Right. Listeners, so, I'm going to give our number out. Call us as we're talking about this because I I know you can add to the conversation. Give us a call 1877 MPB ring. That's 877 672 7464 or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Um Wendy, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to make sure that that our listeners had that phone number because I know this is the kind of thing that people are wondering about. How can you stay in an abusive relationship? Absolutely. But, right? Okay. And so what happens, too, is you care and love the individual. It's not that you want to leave them. You want the abuse to stop. So there's hope. There's always hope. And you think about in any relationship outside of abuse. I mean, you can have you and your best friend get into it. You're hopeful that you'll reconcile. You and anything can happen. So we as individuals hold on to that hope. And then... The hope we're believing that at some point in time it will stop. Then as it continues, because of the level of, and it depends, the level of abuse that occurs, you do start to say, well, you know, well, maybe I did something wrong, or maybe I shouldn't have said that, or maybe if I do this this way that some of those behaviors won't happen. And so it continues, it gets to be so emotional and uh, psychological that most times that drives the behavior that the individual that's receiving the abuse operates out of. And so the the emotional uh, abuse in it starts to tear you down, and sometimes depression and other um, different things surface. And so it makes it more difficult to realistically get through the abuse that's transpiring and or to make logical or rational moves to exit the the situation and exit the relationship. Statistics show that before an individual finally leaves a relationship like that, they leave about they attempt to leave seven or eight times and they go back. They go back. And I say, uh, as the executive director of this organization, talking to numerous people and also um, living out um, the situation in my own life, it is very true. It is very true. It does not matter what type of educational attainment that you have. It does not matter what socioeconomic status that you have. Is that the realities of when someone uh, is consistently uh, going back and forth because the abuse doesn't happen every day. See, that's the thing about it. Most time it doesn't happen every day. So when it does happen, it can be detrimental and it's uh, it's alarming and it's hurtful. But then in between that, um, just like in the cycle of abuse, in between then you you feel some hope. You feel like, okay, we're in this honeymoon phase or things are going good. Uh, and you don't want to go back to that behavior. Uh, and so there's so much that goes on within a relationship um, such as this that it, it is difficult sometimes to even 
figure out yourself, where am I in it? You know what I'm saying? Am I in it? You know, yes, I do love this person. Yes, I do care about them. Is it my fault? Or if you have children, well, the children, I don't want them to see this. I want my children to have their other parent. Just so many different things go on when this type of relationship exists. Right, right. All right. Yeah, it's it's often difficult to to completely step all the way through this. Um, you know, when you're how do you tell if you're in an abusive relationship? Um, and and often it centers around control and power. And we'll talk some about that. But I've before we do that, let's go on to the phones. We have Van in Gulfport. Hi, Van. Thanks for calling. Yes, ma'am. I just like I've got more of a comment, ma'am. And please bear with me. I've had a little health issues, sure. but I've quit. I've quit at least four eating. At, I've quit eating at least four restaurants here in Gulfport because the girls, some of the girls working there, were crying and talking about having to have relations with the bosses. And I, I just wanted them to come in that, and I quit those restaurants because of that. It's un- it's unbelievable what's going on in some of the restaurants, ma'am. Wow, wow! Major, major. These are major restaurants, and I quit eating at them because of that. And I know one beautiful little girl from another country, and her and her girl, other waitress were talking, and they, the other waitress said, "I did, but not to kill me." And the little girl from another country said, "I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to quit." And I run into her two weeks later at a friend of mine's house, and she had quit. Well, thank goodness I, she got I out. I thanked her on the back and thanked her for doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Van, you bring up a. a a topic that is, you know, now this is—is is this domestic violence? Not exactly. This sounds like um, human trafficking and and other stuff and abuse in the workplace. But I do thank you for bringing that up because we know that is an issue that is ongoing. And and actually, um, Van, I don't know if you're still on the phone, but I I wanted to ask you a question about that. Do you? Did you ever feel that you could report it, or did you encourage those women to report it? I, I, I did the one from a different country when I met her at my friend's house. But she said, that I'm not going to because I don't want to go back to work there. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. so, but here's the thing. She may not go back to work there, but other people will get trapped in that same situation, and some might not feel brave enough to leave or may get trapped into that and get stuck due to finances. Yes, ma'am. And I've always, for for years I've been saying this, I, I know for a fact, if all the women would come out on this Me Too movement, we'd have to shut down America. There's <laughs> many of them wise, like that big movie director got in trouble. There's many of them all around us. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it a shame that that so many times sort of the the just it just has become so normalized in so many societies that people just expect it to happen and and some people some women and some men learn how to stand up to it and and to put a stop to it for themselves but like you said um 
and until we make sure that everybody can be in a safe place and and be respected and treated appropriately then it's it, we're going to continue to have this problem but people need to speak out and honestly van if you stopped working at those restaurants i would probably start talking about what's going on and letting others know that they that that is going on there so that perhaps they'll suffer the consequences of their behavior well ma'am i i can tell you for a fact that uh, people we're supposed to rely on and respect and ha- ask for help. It's p- the people that's doing that kind of stuff. Even some, even our, our police force and stuff. Some of them, the only reason they want to be a policeman is so they can do that kind of stuff. And it's unbelievable what's going on in those organizations. I'm t- and our, our school systems covered up with it. I know for a fact. I, could, I can't tell you what I used to do, but I, I used to do a real good job. But I run into that stuff just about every day, and it made me sick. Yeah. Uh, Van, you're bringing up a topic that I know other people are so are are listening and going, isn't it the truth? Now, we know that there are bad seeds in any profession. We know there are a lot of good policemen. There are got a lot of good uh, sheriffs and deputies out there. And you can find one, but sometimes um, you have to go, if, if the police force doesn't seem to be responsive, go to the sheriff. All right, we're going to our next break, Van. Thank you for that call, Charlotte. I see you're waiting. We will be right back. After this break, we are talking about domestic violence and what is going out there, how you can protect yourself, protect others, and what you should do. Give us a call. Join the conversation at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress with a Mindful Minute. Children grow up so fast, before you know it, they'll be starting kindergarten. A good way to watch for school readiness is to mark developmental milestones like talking in sentences, counting, writing, and playing well with others. Positive adult-child relationships are key to helping children meet these milestones. You already have the tools you need. Talking, singing, and reading are fun ways to help children learn and thrive. One way to celebrate these special moments is to use a milestone checklist. Healthcare providers are also a great resource to help make sure your child's on the mark and ready for the next step. Examples of developmental milestones, fun family activities, and additional resources can be found at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Wendy Mahoney, and we are talking about domestic violence and and what to do, 
how, what to do when someone mistreats you. Now, we, our first caller talked about um, that happening in the workplace, and I want to go back to the phones. We have Charlotte on the road who has a comment about that. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. Um, I used to work restaurant management and store management, and I would like to pass on to Mr. Van that he really should consider passing that on to the uh, corporate level of that those businesses uh they really do regard and uh do uh what is necessary to make things right and especially um if he tells them that it makes him choose not to do business there uh we're trained in management that the average person will share a negative experience with at least 10 people and knowing that, they always normally do their best to look into situations and make it right. Well, that's that's good advice, Charlotte. And and yes, to to go directly to them. Hopefully, so the individual, whoever that is, whether it's the manager or uh, another worker there, so that they would be dismissed um, for their behavior. So um, thank you for that. Van, I hope you are still listening and and think about doing that. And it sounded like there were a couple of restaurants um, out there. I suspect that um, not only there on the Gulf Coast somewhere, but, but elsewhere in, in the state and across the country. So Charlotte, thanks for calling. So um, today we're talking about uh, domestic violence and, and the the pattern of violence that you can get into and how you can um, fall victim and stay in a relationship for several different reasons. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's love. Maybe you really do love that individual and that that you begin to feel maybe somewhat guilty because that's another pattern of abuse, that someone will abuse an individual and then... Um, be able to manipulate the situation to make them feel like, well, it was your fault. Um, You flirted with that man, and you made me feel um, lesser than. You made me feel insecure in our relationship. It's your fault. Or um, when you perhaps don't have something in the house um, the way this person thinks it should be. Well, Um, you know, I came home, I'm tired from work, and I walked in, and you didn't have dinner ready. And I got irritable because you didn't have things the way you wanted them. Hi, everyone. Um, This is Michelle McAdoo. Thank you, Wendy, for being a part of the show today. Um, Love what you do. Um, You mentioned something earlier about people leaving and going back up to seven times or more. Interesting enough, um, and Dr. Butchers and Wendy, I like your opinion on this. Think about the different generations, um, the older generation that used to say, you know what, baby, I've been with this man for 60 years. And when we were young, yeah, he put his hands on me and he, or he was a little mean and stuff, but he grew out of it. Uh, he changed. We changed. We grew together. He's no longer like that. Um, what do you say to that generation who dealt with that? And they didn't really talk about domestic violence back in that day. Um, Tolerance for domestic violence is not 
the same as it was maybe in the what 30s 40s 50s maybe mm-hmm. um what do you say the change in the tolerance of domestic violence uh has been what do you think equated to the change in the tolerance of domestic violence and second part of that question do you think uh, that a man or a woman that is violent towards their partner can change and if that's so should the person that's in the relationship stick around to see if the change is possible hmm. yeah well, uh, wendy uh, why don't you start and i i have several comments i'll let you go too. first though yeah, I do too. Well, thank you, Michelle, for bringing that bringing that uh, perspective up. Um, I think generationally, you're absolutely correct um, because um, doing presentations all over the country, uh, I've had uh, women. Uh, I say, you know, in their seventies, sixties, seventies, say, yeah, I, you know, this happened. I even remember growing up in our neighborhood, you knew it was going on, but nobody talked about it. What happens in this house stays in this house, and what happens in their house stays in their house, Um, that type of thing. And you're correct in reference to, okay, we've been together so long, uh, and then over time, because some of the behavior diminished um, just with age, you just kind of deal with it and say that's how it was. I think this generation is there's a mixture um, because violence is so normalized. How we deal with relationships, uh, how we process um, when it comes to uh, dealing with conflict uh, in the media, uh, abuse and violence is everywhere. We know that as a society, people do not deal with conflict well. What do they do? We see it all the time. They take out a gun and shoot. It's not just, you know, words passed anymore. Um, The violence is more severe now than ever before. So I think now generationally, I think there's a mixture. Yeah, I'm not going to let anybody do this, but the violence becomes normalized because this is how we interact with each other when we cannot resolve conflict or we don't communicate well, then the violence comes in. And so a lot of times uh, it's it's reciprocated. So you're seeing that this is how we deal with things is that we fight, that we demean, degrade, humiliate Mm -hmm. each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Social media has added to that. You see, uh, when we get into it, this is how we, this is what we do. So I think this generation, there's a mixture in how it's carried out. Uh, It's more violent. Yeah. uh, And it's more violent. And then also uh, it's more damaging because um, we're, we're not changing our behavior and our perspective and how we see relationships and how we see communication because we don't see communication done effectively or we don't see how to have a healthy relationship. Therefore, we develop what we tend to say works for us. And by the time it gets to the level of that type of abuse, you realize that, oh, Maybe there's something might be wrong with this, but I think it's taking people longer time to realize that it's wrong in this society because of 
the social media and because of how we have normalized yeah. violence. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Wendy, and just a couple of comments on that and then then a, a, a couple of other comments. Um, one, the the normalization of violence, of watching all that, even if it is it's pretend on TV, um, what it does is it it truly does normalize that kind of aggressive uh, behavior. And so it makes individuals, and there are studies that have shown this over and over again, uh, it makes an individual believe that that is a typical way to react. It also makes you less immune to the pain and suffering of others. It really does. Um, does. More immune to the pain and suffering of others. Um, The other thing, I want to go backwards about Michelle's question about the the 70-year-old woman who, who said, you know, well, our my husband was abusive, but he's older, he's mellowed, he's better. Um, and we got through it. I stayed with him. Well, did you stay with him with children witnessing that violence over and over again? You stayed with him, but how is your physical health now? Are you in really good health? How is your mental health? Are you anxious and depressed? Maybe you're not, but what about your kids who witness that? Because I don't care what anybody says, and I've had parents say this to me. Oh, yeah, there is violence in the home, but our children never see it. They know it. They hear it. They see it. They see the consequences. If you think they're asleep in their bedroom with the door closed, not hearing anything, you're wrong. They're probably cowering under the covers. So I just want everybody to keep in mind what we're doing to our future generation by, by allowing families to continue to have violence in the home without good intervention. So I'd, I'd love to hear someone who grew up in a home where there was domestic violence, where maybe you weren't abused, but perhaps you knew something was going on. So let's go on to our final break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the consequences, but also more about what you can do to make changes. Give us a call. Join in the conversation. I really do want to hear from you if you you happen to be in a situation and now you're an adult. one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We will be right back. Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Wendy Mahoney, and we are talking about domestic violence and what it does to you, what it does to the family, what it does to future generations. And so we are going to jump back to the phones. We have Craig from Biloxi. Hi, Craig. Hi. Uh, you said you wanted to talk to someone who's witnessed uh, domestic abuse as a child. Yes. And first I'd like to throw out that, uh, you know, being abused is, is, is uh, progressive, so uh, it's like a hurricane coming. If you have a hurricane coming, you should prepare for it. So I, I would recommend uh, if you if you think you're going to be abused or you feel you're being abused, start collecting phone numbers and inf- contact information of what you can do. Right. Good. Great. And great thought. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, have have you been though, Craig? Have you been? Um, did you witness domestic violence? Oh, oh yeah, my I had four step. Uh, well, I had I call them forefathers. When I say forefathers, I mean my number four fathers. Mm. And I I watched my mother get knocked out and beaten. All us kids got knocked out and beaten. Back in the day, uh, we didn't even have phones, let alone the nine one one system. I mean, you you had to just run and hide. I mean, I remember running and hiding quite often. Mm. Mm. And do you feel like it caused problems for you um, as an adult in relationships? Or tell me how you feel like that affected your outcome. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm paying for the sins of my mother. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, I have, I have some, you know, naturally scars that you can't see and they, and they will never heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, your mother, um, you said she had four partners, all who were abusive, which is, well, so, is that correct? Yeah, well, two, I, there were two abusive. I have uh, uh, rib damage now from one of my fathers, and and the, uh, the other one I was beat until I couldn't remember getting up, or or, or I, I guess I passed out. I really don't remember. I was I, I remember being beaten and waking up. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you went through that. And uh, did you ever feel that there was anything to do other than just? run and hide under the bed or hide somewhere? No, no, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you're a little, I was in fourth grade when that occurred. Uh, there's, there's nothing you can do, and uh, there's nothing you can do. I mean, we, we we ended up pulling guns out. I had guns at an early age, so we ended up pulling guns on my stepfather, and he ended up leaving because he knew he was going to get shot. Well, um, I'm so sorry that you had to do that. Okay, I'm going to say something to our listeners, and, and hopefully parents can impart this to their children, too. Um, you could do something about it. You could tell your teacher. You could tell the principal. You could tell somebody um, in the neighborhood. You could. I, I hear you, Craig, and I know a fourth grader, oh, my goodness, how how tough and how sad that you had to go through that and how terrified you must have been. And I am sure that 
there if there wasn't a verbal threat that you couldn't tell anybody it was a non-spoken threat that if you told somebody there would be trouble to pay but to to let parents know to let um, teachers know I mean I know I'm putting a lot of onus on teachers I do that a lot but I have said so many times the data shows that if a child has one individual in their life one that they can rely on that they know is a safe haven somebody that they can go to it just takes one it might not be a parent and I'm sorry Craig that your mother didn't figure out how to protect you and your brothers but it could have been a teacher. It could have been a neighbor. It it could have been some someone at at church if you happen to go. But to to know that um, you know that to begin to empower others, Craig, you calling in um, is is a wonderful gift for others. I think that you shared this and to to let this be known that I bet there were people around you in your neighborhood who probably knew what was going on, but they didn't, they unfortunately didn't intervene. So if there is ever a neighbor, a teacher, or someone who knows that this is going on, how important that is. Um, I want to go back to you, Wendy, um, for the last couple of minutes of this show. Wendy Mahoney, Executive Director at the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Um, Wendy, give in the last minute or so some resources on what people can do if they suspect something or if they are involved in it. Okay. Uh, well, one thing I would say is if someone states that they are in an abusive relationship, first and foremost, believe them because you're not going to just divulge that information. And then the question of, like we talked about earlier, why this, that, and the other, just believe them um, and support them because individuals don't always immediately leave the relationship. And so it's also important to not say just leave because you don't know all the issues that are going on. Because another thing that happens is that when an individual decides to leave the relationship, they're in greater imminent danger because the abuser feels as though they're losing their power and control because domestic violence is rooted in power and control. So if they believe that they're losing their power and control, then they're going to do additional things. The stalking may increase. Um, the violence may increase. Anything right. could increase. So just beware of that. Right. Wendy, um, we have 30 seconds. Please give the website and the phone number of where people okay. can reach you okay. for you help. Can go to our, you can go to our website at m. MCADV.org, that's Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence.org, MCADV.org. You can call our 800 number, 800-898-3234. That's 800-898-3234 for more information and resources. 
perfect. Thank you so much for all that you do. This is something that is we know is sorely needed. So everybody, um, listeners, I uh, hope you wrote that down. You can listen to our podcast, though, if you want to hear this episode or any past episode. Um, listen to the podcast by searching Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio and engineered by Michelle McAdoo. Our call screener was Lisa. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next right here on MPB Think Radio.